the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. It is the seventh morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Now, you don't think that just because I asked Peter Kirshnow to host for me on Friday, and he did an outstanding job as I think that's the only thing he's capable of doing. You didn't think we were going to give him the day off today, did you? Now, it's Tuesday, Kersenau reports for duty. That's just the way these things work. And Peter Kersenau, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, fill-in host on the Bob France Authority, uh, best-selling author, columnist, and more, joins us now uh, right here on The Authority. Hey, Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob, and thanks a lot for letting me guest host your show. Your audience is the greatest. We had a very good time. Um, and uh, we had a lot to talk about, mainly Afghanistan, of course, the greatest debacle in American history as far as I'm concerned. But we talked about all manner of things. It was a good time. Well, I'm glad, and, I'm gl- and I hope you're willing to continue that part of the conversation, because that's where I want to start our conversation this morning. Um, Jennifer Griffin, I believe it is, doing an interview with uh, General Mark Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, over the weekend, asking Milley what is going to happen in Afghanistan now that, A, we are gone, and, B, the Taliban, a terrorist-sponsoring slash government, uh, terrorist-sponsoring uh, organization slash pseudo-government, is running the country, and will it lead to us eventually having to go back in to the country from which we just withdrew? And I want you to listen to this before you respond, Pete. Is the U.S. safer today since the U.S. has withdrawn from Afghanistan? Well, you know, this is something that um, I've thought a lot about, um, and and I personally think that my military estimate is is that the conditions are uh, likely to develop uh, of a civil war, 
I, do, I don't know if the Taliban is going to be able to consolidate power and establish governance. They may be, maybe not. Uh, but I think there's at least a, a very good probability uh, of a broader civil war. And that will then in turn lead to conditions that could, in fact, lead to a reconstitution of al-Qaeda or a growth of ISIS or other myriad of terrorist groups. So I think the, the short answer to your question is uh, we don't know yet, but the conditions are very likely, in my opinion, that, and I've testified this and I've said it in public, uh, that you could see a resurgence of terrorism coming out of that general region within 12, 24, 36 months. Uh, he went on to say, when asked whether or not um, we may have to send forces back in, he said it is too early, but he did not discount the possibility. Now, Pete, I don't have a ton of use for Mark Milley. I've listened to him uh, on uh, in congressional testimony. Uh, seems to be more concerned with anti-racism and wokeness and social justice than he is with military preparedness. However, I think he was being honest here, and I think he is also accurate here. He said Afghanistan is about to become a haven, whether it be within 12 or 24 or 36 months. I think it'll be sooner. But it's going to be a haven for terrorist groups. Uh, and he said the likelihood is we are going to have to conduct some very strong counterintelligence or counterterrorism work, I should say, there, which is hard to do without having a military presence there, which may necessitate a return to Afghanistan. So I don't like the guy, but I, I, I agree with him here. What's your take? Yeah, uh, interesting, Bob, because as you were talking, I was thinking my reaction to those statements are precisely the same as yours. I don't like him. I think that he has been complicit in the greatest humiliation that America's ever faced. But I think he's being honest there, which strikes up another thought, and that is that, um, and I don't know one knows this, obviously, yet. I'm sure there may be leaks because this debacle is so large, everyone's going to want to be pointing fingers but it strikes me from what I've heard from others. I think it was um, Jennifer Griffin may have been one of those to report this, and uh, and or Lara Logan, who said that um, you know the generals were more in line with what Milley was saying when they were advising Biden, but Biden made the precipitous call to just get out. He wanted to get out. Apparently, they he didn't want to add any more troops. They had to keep open Bagram. Uh, they, well, there were only three things, Bagram, the uh, embassy, and Hamid Karzai, and they only had enough troops to keep two of those places open. So it was Biden who made the determination to close Bagram, and they protested, everybody protested because they knew it was a, a tactical and strategic uh, failure, or a huge mistake. So it, it's, it, it suggests, Milley's statement suggests that Biden was receiving other advice because it's, it's unimaginable that people would say, okay, we went into Afghanistan, fought for 20 years, American lives were lost, we spent trillions of dollars there, and yet at the end of the 20 years, we're going to re- return to the same type of conditions we went in there to eliminate. Just extraordinary. So, um, but it's common sense, too. You don't have to be a four-star general. You didn't have to go to you know, West Point or you know, any kind of uh, Army Command School in order to, to figure this stuff out. This is simple common sense. A five-year-old would know that based on what we have seen, based on what we know about the Taliban, but based on what we know about terrorist organizations generally, that uh, in short order, Afghanistan was going to become a terrorist playpen again. And what's kind of off topic a little bit, but uh, equally or if not more troubling is we have flown out 120,000 people um, and they are starting to admit that about 50,000 of them, we have no idea who they are. We don't know who they are. And we're resettling them here in the United States. 
And, you know, at least 100 have been flagged as being on terror watch lists. But I heard a report yesterday that up to 10,000 of these people probably would not be admitted to any Western country because of their associations with the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. It's extraordinary. And yet we're flying them out and left behind Americans. So this is uh, a debacle we're going to be talking about for a while, despite the fact that the media is trying to do their best to turn the page. They presented us with Joe Biden, said the adults were back in the room, and now we have the greatest humiliation in history. And and the media is complicit in this. Pete, um, the most, you know, on Saturday, we're going to commemorate um, the the 9-11 attacks. How how many hijackers did it take to kill 3,000 people? Yeah, 18, 19. 19, um, 19 people. And they've got thousands there now. And they've got thousands of people who are unvetted, fifth, up to 50,000 that they don't know who they are because they left with such a chaotic handling of that evacuation. They piled anybody they could find onto the onto these um, uh, C-17s by the hundreds, don't care if they have travel documents, don't care if they have special visas, don't care if they're Americans, just get them in and bring them over. And, you know, here's the thing. Uh, uh, Peter Kersenow, I, I talked about this in the first hour. Over the weekend, when it was revealed by CBS News, uh, responding to a congressional source, that there were six to seven planes filled with Americans prepared to take off that were not allowed to take off by the Taliban, uh, Joe Biden responded, or the White House responded, uh, via the State, House, State Department spokesman, that we don't control the airspace. Quote, there's little we can do because we do not have personnel on the ground. We do not have air assets in the country. We do not control the airspace. That's the reason why Americans are being left behind in a terrorist state. Peter Kersenow, I'll ask you what I asked hypothetically uh, uh, for, for uh, last hour, rather. Four weeks ago, who controlled the airspace? Four weeks ago, we controlled the airspace. We, along with 300,000 or so uh, Afghan security forces, controlled the airspace. That's when we were supposed to evacuate all of the citizens and the Afghan allies properly vetted. That's when we fly them out under security of the forces, American forces and Afghan forces. But because this idiot took our forces out first, which then terrified the Afghan personnel, and they dropped their weapons and ran, now there was nobody to secure the area to have orderly evacuations. Pete, they're crying now. They don't control the airspace, but they did a month ago. Yeah, we were told, right? Uh, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I've not been watching a whole lot of television, but I think I saw on a Tucker Carlson show, he played a montage of all the usual suspects in the media, whether they be talking heads like a Rachel Maddow or actual news reporters on almost every station and cable uh, outlet saying the adults are back in charge after Biden got elected. The adults are back in charge. That was the refrain. The adults are back in charge. Well, these are the dumbest adults in the history of the United States. Not only that, they're the most cowardly and feckless adults. We talked about this on Friday on your show, Bob. It, it, It is a humiliation beyond 
any measure that we've witnessed in the United States that has significant domino repercussions down the road. We can't even anticipate some of them, but we know what they are. We just look at the fact that our allies no longer count on us. When you have Britain, our closest historical ally, censuring the president of the United States and NATO talking about how they're going to have to go it on their own because the United States is no longer a trustworthy and reliable ally, it gives you an indication as what our enemies think. The Chinas and the Russias and the Cubas and the North Koreas. I mean, this is, we are in a much more vulnerable position because of the cascade of monumental errors. But the biggest error is, and I know you've talked about this because you and I think so much alike about these things, the abandonment of American, the breaching of the central compact between American citizen and government. I'd never, ever, ever thought I'd live to see the day when America would abandon even one of its citizens. But now what we have seen... We but it's worse than that. The- on direct command, on direct command of the CIC, on direct command, because only Joe Biden could have extended that deadline and told the Taliban, go pound sand, you know where. We're not leaving by August 31st. We're leaving when the last American is on a plane and safely in another country, or if not, if not the United States. He could have said, there's no red line here that you can enforce. Try us. And instead, he said, okay, we'll go. We'll go. We'll get out by the 31st. So these people are abandoned on direct command, on a direct decision made by the commander-in-chief. Go ahead. Last slide here. Despite the fact that he told George Stephanopoulos on national television that they wouldn't leave until every American was secured. And here's the other unforgivable thing. They didn't leave on the 31st, Bob. They left on the 30th. 30th. Remember, right. there, was, there was that one woman who kept trying to get in, and then on the 30th, she couldn't get in, but thought she had one more day to try. And then when she goes back, finds out, hey, they're gone. Sorry. Adios. I'd never thought I'd ever see that. But think about, we've seen the lead up to this, this abandonment of Americans. I've said this on your show, Democrats have a history of abandoning Americans. They abandon Americans at Benghazi. They abandon Americans in the cities, defund the police, leaving Americans defenseless. They abandon Americans on the southern border, leaving them defenseless to an influx of 1.2 to date million illegal aliens, many of whom have COVID. The, The abandonment of Americans, they will take trillions of your tax dollars and then say, Adios, we have no more use for you. you, got your, you we got your money, so you fend for yourself. We had a resolution on the floor of the House simply to require Biden present a plan to get the other Americans out. They wouldn't even bring it up for a vote. And then the Republicans issued a resolution, a, a moment of silence, like they typically do. You know, it, it's useless, but I think it's a, a worthwhile endeavor to just at least do that, to recognize our Americans. A moment of silence, not one Democrat participated. Not one. Even Ocasio-Cortez, who could find the time to fly down for a fake photo opportunity to cry at an empty parking lot that the media facilitated and try to cover up, she couldn't exercise a moment of silence. Democrats, this is why I say you can't vote for a Democrat for dog catcher because they're part of the collective Borg. You cannot do it. This is existential for America. It, it is absolutely that. People, we've got to take a time out here. We'll come right, right back and continue on AM 1420 The Answer. AM 1420 The Answer. All right, shorter segment here with Kersenau, but that's okay. He'll stay past the news as well. Pete, um, the left likes to call what I'm about to do whataboutism. I don't care what they like to call it because it's fair to ask, what would they be saying if Donald Trump 
promised to bring every American home and then abandon 500 or so Americans behind Taliban lines. And what would they say, Peter Kersenow, if the Trump administration tried to take credit for a private rescue operation? Marianne was unable to get into the Kabul airport a couple of weeks ago amid all that chaos. She was stopped outside by the Taliban who put a gun to her head. Then she was abandoned when U.S. forces left the country. But she was saved thanks to a private team that got to them, drove them to the north of the country, and then after multiple attempts across the border to safety in a third country. But immediately, the State Department took credit for it, saying they facilitated the escape when, in fact, they had practically nothing to do with it. In fact, this was a private operation led by Congressman Corey Mills, Ronnie Jackson, and military veterans. Congressman Mullen, who was also involved, hit out at the State Department, tweeting, This is a flat-out lie. The Biden administration abandoned them. Let's be clear, it was our team of patriots who worked around the clock for two weeks to get them out. Peter Kirstenau. Literally, I equate this almost to stolen valor. The State Department under Tony Blinken issued a statement saying that the U.S. State Department has facilitated the over-the-ground rescue of four American citizens. They had nothing to do with it. I think it's stolen valor. What do you say? I think that's a very good assessment. I haven't thought about it in those terms, but it is as similar to that as you possibly can get. Look, um, there's so much about this. They lied so many times in the previous segment. We talked about his lie to George Stephanopoulos that he would make sure that we got, we'd stay there as long as we got every American out. They constantly lie about this. We expect them to lie. And we have come to the point now where we expect the entire media to lie for them, to facilitate these lies, or at least try to cover it up, not to cover these things. This is the status of affairs in America today, and it is frightening. It, we are on the verge. A number of very, very prominent historians have come out, and, and they've acknowledged what we kind of feel, that we're at an inflection point in this country today. You know, we, we always like to talk about how things are, are worse than they were before, or this is the first time for this, that, and the other thing, and, you know, this has taken on a different cast. But this truly has. We've been defeated by a bunch of 6th century goat herders uh, who we have made a superpower by virtue of the fact that we left them anywhere between 80 to $90 billion. Think about it. I didn't even realize this. But Victor Davis Hanson did the math on this, and he said, you know what? The amount of equipment that we left with these guys out is um, greater than the defense outlays of every nation on earth except for the U.S. and China. We have turned these backward goat herders into a superpower because of the fecklessness and stupidity of Joe Biden and everyone who surrounds him and those who enable Biden them. supporters, talking- Pete, Pete, Biden supporters, I just heard this yesterday for the first time, are saying that's not exactly true. While the equipment is there and worth all of that, that many of the helicopters, the Chinooks and the Blackhawks and everything else that were there are obsolete and uh, unusable, that they cannot be used. Uh, I don't know if I don't that's true them. or not. Do you believe them? I don't no, believe I them. They just lied just about what they this family. Yeah, I don't believe them at all. Not at all. All I know is I saw one of those Blackhawks flying after we left. We saw a video of it where that guy was hanging from the bottom of the boat. This is and it was, you know, it was an Apache. We have This is ridiculous. I don't believe a thing these people say. But on top of that, let's take them at their word that the $90 billion is, is inoperable. Some of it is. They still have tens of billions that are operable. Those machine guns, how many? 34,000? 
this is it's just incredible. And on top yeah. of that, I am absolutely certain that with a little bit of work, they could probably get them to operate. In addition, we've seen convoys, satellite images show convoys of tons of equipment going to Iran. I'm sure China and Russia have people there right now looking at the stuff, going back, trying to reverse engineer the, mo- the most sophisticated aspects of the equipment. This is a debacle on steroids. They can't get around this. I don't care no if question. it's $9 billion or $93 billion or what it may be. We left behind armaments, but more importantly, we left behind Americans. They can't spin this, and the media gave him to us. They covered up everything, allowed him to campaign from his basement, told lies about him, didn't cover the Hunter Biden laptop uh, 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 scandal, blew up everything with respect to Donald Trump. That phone call in July between Biden and Prime Minister Ghani If that's not impeachable under the Trump standards, nothing is. Trump's perfect phone call was just that perfect. Here, Biden was telling him to lie, to cover things up so that they could continue to perpetuate the falsehood that they wanted. This is unforgivable. Joe Biden, by the way, right now is underwater when it comes to his approval ratings. Uh, According to the latest surveys compiled by Real Real Clear Politics, which is kind of a a compendium of, of all of the surveys, He's at 45% approval, 49% disapproval. 44% of Americans questioned in this uh, in an ABC News Washington Post poll this weekend said they approve uh, of his job in the White House. That's six points down from just two months ago. Uh, just over half of them gave him a thumbs down on how he's handling his duties, uh, which is a jump of nine points from June. So over the course of the last two months, you are watching Joe Biden's numbers go down, and you are watching them do everything they can to try to prop them up artificially, including taking credit for an operation they had nothing to do with when it came when it comes to these American hostages. We'll uh, pause there, Peter Kirsch now, and we'll pick it up on the other side. AM fourteen twenty, the answer. two sides to every story there's the mainstream media side and then there's the truth you are experiencing the truth the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer onward we roll now at 1038 one more segment with peter kersenow uh thank you so much for being with us pete i want to pivot to the uh, domestic side of things now we'll get out of afghanistan for a few here unlike 500 americans who are unable to do so uh, I want to talk to you about uh, these headlines that we are seeing all over the news over the course of the last three or four days. Always something to the effect of, like this one, jobless Americans stuck in backlog. And this one, millions of Americans see their safety net disappear as the expanded unemployment insurance put in place by the Democrats and by Joe Biden finally expires for roughly 9 million Americans and the end to their uh, uh, their uh, rent moratorium or their eviction moratorium. So in other words, uh, we should feel terrible for 9 million Americans because now they actually have to go back to work and then they actually have to pay for their mortgage or their rent. They actually have to pay their bills. Um, last time I checked... Where there are more jobs available in the United States now than perhaps at any time, any singular moment in American history. Why are we crying these crocodile tears, or why is the media crying these crocodile tears? Because people actually have to go and fill them now. 
Yeah, we've changed a lot culturally in this country, but also this is part of the socialization project or the socialism project, that somehow every citizen is supposed to be given a standard of living regardless of whether or not they're working or contributing to society. Jobs are out there. We've heard now for almost a year, but definitely in the last six months, that employers have been having a difficult time filling job opportunities. They're raising minimum wages dramatically in order to encourage people to come to work. One of the more salutary benefits of the elimination of these job benefits is maybe some of these people, and again, there, there may be folks who can't get a job. There may be people who, for a variety of reasons beyond their control, won't be able to work. But the vast majority of those 9 million probably can get a job. They should be working. There's, there's no such thing as a free lunch. This is a great country. It affords so many people the opportunity to make the best of their livelihoods if they choose to do so. And what we understand in this country is that, you know, you've got to carry your own weight, um, that's, you know, and that's now that's seen, seen as being something harsh. It's not. It's not just being able to take care for yourself and your family, but it's it imparts a form of dignity, self-dignity. But it's part also, I spoke about compacts before, but it's part of the compact between the nation and its citizens, you know. Um, do something to contribute to society. So this is not a great uh, tragedy that for a year and a half we've been ex- you know, extending these uh, unemployment benefits. That's, a, that's truly the mark of a remarkable nation. And so it's about time. Now, you know, uh, you know, you were mentioning some of the poll numbers for Biden uh, earlier, and it amounts to about a 15-point swing since just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, consumer confidence is down to the lowest point since the financial panic of 2008-2009, uh, the big Great Recession. And, uh, you know, depending upon which poll you look at, anywhere from 61 to 68% of the country think we're on the wrong track, and that's the lowest point since, I think, 2007-2008. Everything is going downhill, and one of the best ways of getting something, or at least a portion of things to go uphill, is to have people return to work. Returning to work sparks other economic activity also. So, um, you know, I don't think too many people are crying in their beer over this. Well, no, they're not. And, and you know, what's, what's the most frustrating is, is those of us who are consumers who are working and are doing, you know, what we're supposed to do. And you could say, well, we're fortunate that we weren't laid off. We're fortunate that our businesses didn't close and so on and so forth. And so much of that is true. There were a lot of businesses that closed, uh, and jobs that disappeared forever because of the lockdowns that were instituted last year. And many of them extended into this year. But, you know, what, what's frustrating, Pete, when you talk about our culture is my wife and I went out yesterday for Labor Day. And we went up to the uh, watch the air show for a little bit, and then we wanted to go out to eat. We went to, I can't tell you how many doors in Cleveland and surrounding Cleveland that were closed. That were closed right. not because it was Labor Day, but because there's staffing shortages. I try to go out for lunch once or twice a week. Usually I'll eat, uh, you know, home-packed lunches, but I'll try to go out for lunch once or twice a week. And I'll, I'll knock on a door, or not knock, but I'll try to open the door at noon. And it'll say, sorry, we're opening at 2 o'clock today. They're abandoning their lunch crowds because they can't get anybody in there to work. So between the people who would rather sit home and collect, uh, you know, those, uh, those expanded unemployment benefits... And those who just simply don't want to work at all, it affects all of us. It affects us. It affects our quality of life in a manner that, you know, again, we never, ever really thought possible before. Yeah, uh, funny you mentioned that, but a number of supermarkets were closed yesterday, too, that had never been closed before. We do have a labor shortage in this country. we got to get people back to work. Uh, there's nothing wrong. I mean, the way some of the media portray this is if it's a tragedy 
that people are going back to work, you know, or need to go back to work. Uh, that we, after a year and That's a half... That's how they're painting it. You're right. That, yeah, they're literally I, painting it as a tragedy. Look at this terrible thing. People are now going to be expected to work. Like, Pete, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you real quick, but this this is... This is the foundation that is laid for socialism. I'm sorry to sound overly, you know, melodramatic here, but this literally is, hey, look, I want the government to continue to hook me up the way they have been for the last 15 months or more. I don't want to have to go out and work for it. Just give me a little bit so that I'm good, pay my rent for me, uh, you know, uh, pay for my groceries for me, and I'm good. And this is exactly what, I'm sorry, that, that, that I think the left has been pushing for all along. Yeah, I, there's no doubt about it. They're, they want to extend the um, the amount of welfare benefits available to just ordinary Americans. I mean, you know, you don't have to necessarily show that you're destitute or you're unable to work because of some type of limitation on physical limitation or mental limitation, um, or that you need some temporary assistance. The idea here now is to get as many people as possible dependent in one way or another, whether it's working for a government or being paid by the government to be dependent on the government. And they're achieving remarkable success. If you listen to the mindset of a disturbing number of Americans, far more than was the case even two, three years ago, and definitely more than, say, 20, 30 years ago, it's like the government owes you something simply by virtue of your existence. Now think about how, how despicable that is when you contrast it with the primary obligation of governments to protect its citizens, and yet we're completely abandoning the real reason why governments are organized, that is, to constitute you know, a republic to protect the citizens. We're abandoning that to funding police, not protecting the border, abandoning people behind terrorist enemy lines in Afghanistan, and we're doing all kinds of other things that we've never expected or want the government to do. We can't continue to go down this path. You know, a number of people are very prominent historians are, as I said earlier, they're starting to say this is an inflection point we've never seen before. This is a dangerous moment in history, almost every other time in history, you know, at least during our lifetimes. We've had calamities, we've had emergencies, we've had catastrophes and tragedies, but we always thought we could, you know, uh, kind of pick ourselves back up, dust ourselves off, and we're going to proceed on and probably be better than before. But a lot of very serious people, and I exclude 90% of the media when I talk about that, but about 90 very serious people really think that we're cratering and may not be able to come out of the abyss. I never thought I would say that. I always thought Americans were, and America was resilient and we'd always you know, overcome any type of adversity. But we have put structures in place and eliminated other structures that speed us toward a calamity. And the fact that the Democrats seem to be completely oblivious to performing the essential functions of their jobs in, in terms of being governmental leaders just exacerbates it. So it's, um, you know, things are in bad shape. Everything, think about it. Every major category of measurement has gotten demonstrably worse since Biden was elected. We were told good times were back again, adults are in control, you know, those mean tweets that had been apparently disrupting the entire civilization of the world were no longer going to be plaguing us. But from the economy, inflation, jobs, the jobs report fell one half million lower than expected. 500,000 fewer jobs well, Pete, than let me, let me, let me, let me, Let me expand upon that real quick. It's not just the number of jobs. 
what we have seen is because of the unemployment benefits and people, we, we hey, I make more money sitting home than I do going to work, we've seen employers bumping their salaries big time. We're seeing fast food places actually paying the $15 minimum wage now that they used to fight for legislatively, fight for 15 even though it's going to be devastating to the business owner uh, and their bottom line. But they can't get anybody to come through the doors and man you know, the workstations. So they've raised uh, wages uh, exponentially in a lot of places. You see signs everywhere, starting at 15, starting at 17. Pay. I, you see, I see other ones saying, signing bonus, come here to work, make $500 on day one. Now, I bring all of that up to say this. Real average hourly earnings have declined, despite that, declined 1.2% from July 2020 to July 2021. This change is in real average hourly earnings combined with an increase of 0.6% in the average work week resulted in a 0.7% decrease in real average weekly earnings. These numbers literally just came out uh, uh, yesterday, maybe it was Friday actually, uh, by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. So wages are down even as some employers are forced to overpay for menial labor jobs. Really, really an amazing thing. Um, every aspect of the, no, that's an exaggeration. The major aspects of the economy are going in the wrong direction. All the measures are going in the wrong direction. The one that hurts most people, of course, is inflation. But as you just indicated, all of those things you mentioned contribute to have a domino effect on the economy, specifically inflation. This is not good. Everything has gotten worse, and yet we are being told that, you know, this is business as usual. No big deal here. COVID infection. The only thing that Biden could attack Trump on plausibly was COVID. Most prognosticators said that's the one area where Trump has vulnerability, although I'm not sure how anybody can control a virus. And yet the media will try to cover up the fact that COVID infection rates are higher now than they were a year ago under Trump. Everything is worse. Illegal immigration. Hey, how about this, Bob? Biden is concentrating on stuff that has absolutely no bearing on the general welfare of the populace. He wants to take away our Second Amendment rights and gun control. He wants to confiscate guns. And he's trying to limit the amount of ammunition available right now. While he's confiscating guns under, you know, in violation of our Second Amendment rights, he gives $90 billion worth of guns to Afghanistan. This is music, I mean, to the Taliban. We, we are in a, uh, an amazingly crazy era in this country. It's not just dumb, it's crazy and it's enormously dangerous. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is all of the above, Pete. And uh, you know, the idea that it's it's going to change anytime soon. You know, I'm just going to ask you about you know uh, where it goes from here. I, I think we could probably point to three or four different things um, that are impeachable. You can't just impeach because you don't like somebody. You can't just impeach. Although the left tried that, you can't just impeach because of uh, policy decisions you disagree with. However, you can impeach for things like treason. And the last time I checked, treason can be defined as aiding and abetting the enemy. And I think leaving $90 billion worth of weaponry and ammunition in the hands of a terror organization, our enemies, qualifies. Now, a lot of people say, well, maybe that's not the best thing to do because that would put the government in the hands of Kamala Harris. What do you make of the fact, Peter, and I've only got about two minutes left for you to answer this question. 
What do you make of the fact that she has been literally invisible during all of this? You've got retired generals and admirals calling for the resignations of Austin in the Pentagon, Milley from the Joint Chiefs, Biden himself, uh, uh, Blinken from state, but nobody's calling for the resignation of, of Kamala because she has been absolutely insulated from all of this. She doesn't speak on it. She doesn't go anywhere. She has no role in this whatsoever. Do you think that they're planning to turn it over to her? I don't know if they're planning to turn it over to her. I think they think it may be an eventuality. The reason why she's doing this, and people haven't, you know, and people aren't oblivious to it, they've seen what's happening, is twofold. One is she doesn't want to be covered with the stench of this debacle. That's not going to work. It'll, no, I agree, you know, but I think that's, what I, that's my point was. Maybe they don't yeah. want her to be covered with the stench of it because she's yeah. going to have to take over. Yeah, but the second reason is because there is no adequate response. There's nothing for her to say that's not going to make her look even worse. And let's face it, every time she's made a public appearance, even before this debacle, she's, it's been a debacle for her. Yeah. She is a horrible public communicator. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She, she's almost as dumb as Biden. Is. I was going to say, neither does he. There's nothing he has said that hasn't done anything to improve his, you know, his, his approval, if you will. Everything he says is a debacle. Every time he has a press statement, much less a press conference where he actually has to answer questions, it's a debacle. Uh, and yet they keep trotting them out there, or they do as much as they have to, but they have completely hidden her. She has had no role in this whatsoever, and one could argue it's because she's been tasked with being the border czar, so she's busy, except she's doing nothing there either. Right. I don't know right. what she's doing in, in her capacity as vice president other than maybe her nails. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right, Bob. And the, the thing about all of this is that... Um, We've got two people wholly incapable of manning the office of the presidency. We've got three and a half more years to go at this. And the Republicans need to step up a lot more energetically. They may not have the uh, you know, levers of power right now, but they've got mini bully pulpits. And they've got to get out. They have, there are a few. You know, the Tom Cottons of the world. You know, we, you, uh, you know the, the, there's a few others. Um, that um, are speaking up and pointing certain things out, but they should be introducing, I know it's, it seems futile, but there is a method to doing this. Resolutions, legislation, and just getting out there and talking about this debacle constantly. We have to do it. This is one of the great tragedies in American history, and Republicans need to point that out. Amen to that. Peter Kirstenau, great stuff as always, my friend. Thanks very much. Take care, Bob. All right. That's Kirstenau on AM 1420, The Answer. You may hear him again later. He's so good, I may want to rerun this when I do the Prager Show. That's right, I'll be hosting for Dennis from noon to three today. And I may just recycle that Kirsten Iowa interview because the nation needs to hear from this man, not just Northeast Ohio. We'll be right back. Download the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1057. Final segment is usually a short one, and this one is no exception. The good news is you'll have three more hours of what I offer uh, today. I'll be sitting in for Dennis Prager. Uh, from noon until 3. It'll air, of course, 1 to 3 here because we bring you an hour of Charlie Kirk at noon. So, um... Listen however you wish to at Dennis Prager's website or uh, whatever your choice may be, but I'll be hosting for Dennis today from noon until 3. And it's, by the way, at that time, 
we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about something that you don't really probably hear enough to understand. Um, I mentioned socialism to Peter Kirschnow during the conversation there. I'm going to give you a real-world example of when socialism was tried here in the United States, when it was literally pushed upon a willing people who gave up all of their private property rights, all of their private ownership, and lived communally, and literally tried to live as good little socialists. And what happened to them at the end is one of the biggest disasters, one of the biggest, I don't know, catastrophes, whatever you want to call it, in American history. But it was tried right here in the United States. Not a lot of people realize that's what it was all about, but I will explain that during the Prager Show coming up today from noon to 3, so hopefully you can listen in. All right, Gary's in Olmstead Falls. Hi, Gary, go ahead. You're on the air. Bob, you stole my ammunition about treason. But I think we should do everything to impeach this guy, and here's the reason why. It creates chaos within the Democratic Party, and for no other reason, just create chaos for him. So they have to focus on uh, dealing with the impeachment process. And that's pretty much it. But you were right on about treason. He is guilty as sin. I think it would be chaotic. Thank you, Gary, for the call. I, I do. I think it would create chaos because they would be forced to look at Kamala Harris as the new standard bearer for the party. And that would be devastating for them because she's so awful at everything. At everything, including speaking to people, much less doing a job at the border or doing a job in uh, with a role in Afghanistan. Nothing. It would be chaos, and they would deserve it. Thanks so much for the call. Thanks so much to everybody for being a part of the show today. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.